Hi everyone and welcome to Teaching for Dummies, the podcast where we explore interesting elements of the teaching world. And I'm joined together today with Nathan Starr, starry to his friends, the podcasting mega superstar. Uh, <laughs> I'm building you up here, mate. Uh, how you going? Yeah, no, it's good to be back. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you know, we love the, the first episode with you on talking about the Catholic school system and, you know, some really interesting insights into to how um, you guys operate and, and looking at some, um, you know, some sort of uh, on the grassroots of, of teaching of religious education and those sorts of elements of your teaching. But I thought we'd kick things off today talking about the apps of the week. Eek, eek, eek. And uh, <laughs> um, I say apps of the week because you've been, you've got a special situation in your current school where you've got one-to-one iPad users. Yeah, so we've gone fully, uh, we have been, uh, for the threes to sixes in the past, we've been one-to-one with uh, MacBook Airs. And uh, this year I've decided to go fully one-to-one iPad, uh, and that's including the juniors. Um, yeah. So there's been a bit of a transitioning period with that. Um, if you've ever gone from using a lot of the stuff on a MacBook compared to then going onto a um, iPad, there's very there's a very similar themes going on. Um, however, there's lots of little intricate or subtle differences. Yeah. What are some of those subtle differences? Um, just in, in your menus and how you go about changing things. Like if you're video editing, obviously you don't have the uh, mouse or trackpad. It's actually mm. a touch screen. So they, there's just differences of how you drag things or finding the, the yeah, probably finding where the menus are. Yeah. Most, um, there are sometimes limitations in what you can do on an iPad app compared to what you can do on the um, on the MacBook, mm. um, so yeah, just working out what you can and can't do. However, in saying that, the iPads have become much much more stable in um, or the capacity of what they can do have come a long way, um, yeah. and that's why I've decided to go down that road, hoping because there was always a lot of um, issues with using the MacBooks. Mm. Um, and I was thinking, well, the the platform that you use on a iPad is much more, um, you know, structured. Yeah. Uh, hoping it would fix a lot of those problems. However, as I've uh, found out, the different issues are arising um, and problem solving that. So I don't think any particular platform, whatever you choose, there's going to be problems, and that's part of being in that ICT world of just working through them and finding solutions for um, as you go. Yeah. In your role at your current school, do you have like X amount of time per week to work on the yeah. ICT, like the the um, technical side of things, the provision of yeah. the devices? Yeah, and that can sometimes be the challenging part because some weeks you'll have nothing to uh, do on those uh, machines mm. and or like as in, in that devoted time where you might have a lot of time throughout the week where people are asking you different things or you're needing to update apps or load apps, find apps and um, all those sorts of things. And then you'll have another time where you need to spend six hours straight dealing with yeah. a problem or something like that. So even though you get allocated that time, that time ends up getting eaten up with other things. Mm. Um, but it's just um, you know 
I suppose you need, it is good to have that extra bit of time because obviously the time's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. Look, I, I find, um, yeah, like my role as a team leader, um, I get X amount of hours per week uh, and they're, you know, they're classroom hours. And so, you know, I do a bit of a whip round of classes, check in, see how things are going. But what I find is sometimes I need to take my like own personal time just during some of those hours because I know that a lot of my time dealing with student issues is actually in lunch times, in yes. recesses. It's at times when I don't even expect it's going to happen. You know, you'll get a parent phone call all of a sudden, boom, you've got to respond to it, whether it's your lunch break or not, you know. So I hear what you're saying when you've got to juggle that time because sometimes you don't have to do anything and sometimes everything's happening and you've still got to make it work. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so, look, in my school too, um, when I when I first got there, what, seven years ago, we had one-to-one devices. Um, and I know that in our school, in this very, very big school, it was always really difficult to try and maintain those, that one-to-one, one-to-one device program um, because the, the school, you know, was helping families to set them up and those sorts of things. Obviously, families are responsible for making sure that they're charged, to making sure that they're in the school bag on the way to school. All of these things get in the way of of using them for learning. Um, Have you d- been using a, a BYO? Is it a BYO? Yeah, BYO program. program. Yeah. yeah, and so very that, problematic. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. look, and then and then you've got someone who's you know hasn't got an iPad, has got a Samsung, yeah. or has got an iPad, you know, Mini or whatever they're called, and you know, and it's just the parents think, oh, close enough is good enough. But when you're trying to deliver a program based on a very specific set of apps that you've got and then you've got all these variations, that it really makes it very difficult to... Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why it just doesn't work to bring mm. your own device. If um, I know it's quite costly for a school to actually buy their own devices mm. or, or lease their own devices. Um, the benefits are you're going to be saving a lot of teacher time, um, a lot of the technician's time as well because that technician's having to deal with numerous different issues on the devices where at the moment, even when I get an issue, generally that issue is across the board with all the devices. Mm. Um, I say that normally. um, I've had a few little issues because we're using uh, MDM, which is Mobile Device Management System uh, called Jamf. And basically, I go onto Apple School Manager. I purchase the apps mm. uh, or buy the licenses, and then that pushes out to this Jamf program. And then from there, I manage all the iPads in different ways. Uh, so generally, I can update all the iPads in one go. I yeah. can, you know, I can if there's a new app, it's probably about a couple of hour turnaround before it's actually on all the devices. Yeah, really, really, from what I've gone from. To what I have now, it's it's really good. Uh, not to say it's not without its challenges as well. So mm. I was hoping this this would be just fix all my ICT issues. However, <laughs> it's just changed them. Yeah. But as I say, I'm, I'm learning to manage that, and I, I would recommend this uh, if you did have the capacity to go, especially down the Apple path of getting iPads. And um, we've even gone down the road of getting Apple Pens for the years threes mm. to sixes. What you can do on them now is unbelievable. Even like in remote learning, we've sent them all home. Well, we've already had one smash screen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's um, 
you're never going to be foolproof. Accidents are always going to yeah. happen. I think you just got to make sure that people are accountable for looking after the devices. Yeah. Um, well, we had yeah. we had an interesting scenario during remote learning. You know, we've sent devices home, um, but it's part of the agreement that if it gets damaged, the parent actually has to get it fixed before it comes back. Yep. Which I thought was really uh, interesting because I wasn't aware that we'd done that sort of thing before. Mind you, we've never had to give out this many devices ever. Mm. Um, we don't. It's not normal for schools to send home devices with kids. Yeah. Um, and just interestingly, my school has sent home over 500 devices mm. with families. Isn't that a, just yeah. a crazy number? Like, uh, <laughs> and, think- and, and try and see how many come back. Um, yeah. That's going to be yeah. the challenge. Um, I know yeah. one thing I, I did, I didn't send home any of the charges. I basically said to the kids who's got, whose mums or dads have got uh, iPhone. Yeah. I said, great. Well, you've got a charger at home then. Yeah. And because uh, that those sort of components are the things that are going to break first, and, and they uh, all they disappear. They don't yeah, come they back. disappear. Yeah. So yeah. the less you can, <laughs> I, I was even a little bit apprehensive of sending the Apple pencils home. Yeah. Um. Uh. They've got these tiny little caps on the end of them. Yeah. That first thing you, you get lost, and I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, waiting to see how many come back at the end of remote learning. They'll be chewed yeah. on or something, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kid will get it stuck, stuck up his nose or something. Yeah, after the first remote learning, one of my kids came back and he handed me this iPad and I opened it up in front of him and the screen's absolutely smashed. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked down at him and he's like, you're looking up at me and he's like, sorry, Mr. Harvey. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, mate. Like, I'll yeah. take care of it, you know. And uh, I called yeah. up his parents and... Um, that's yeah. when I found out that, yeah, it was the parents I had, had Responsibility said, I'm going to have to send it back home. And, and I think that's pretty reasonable yeah. in that fact, as in you, you're putting that responsibility on everyone. For those people who look after the device and do the right thing. No problem. Yep. And for everyone else to be absorbing those people who are, you know, reckless with their devices or yeah. you know, irresponsible. And, you know, accidents are going to happen, but, you know, we've always got to own, be responsible for our own accidents and, yeah. So, forth. so I think that's pretty reasonable for what the kids are getting. Um, you know, I, I did have my concerns and, you know, how can you get parents to pay for a device if it smashes and all that? Is that yeah. fair that we're making them take home these devices and so forth? But uh, I think that's just the way that, you know, we're going now that if we want to have the, these kids to have the opportunities that they need to enhance their learning, they're going to have to have these devices. Otherwise, they're going to be stuck in, you know. 1985 or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Well, look, we, you know, we're, we're very mindful about, you know, during this remote learning period that what we, you know, the, the content delivery, the curriculum delivery to kids and families, you know, we're mindful that we're not disenfranchising kids by having certain styles of teaching, you know, using particular devices or what have you. Yep. Um, because not everyone has a device, not everyone has access for us, it's just things like we, you know, we got to be mindful we don't send home too much work that requires printing because not everyone has a printer. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. and these parents, these poor parents who are going, all of this work needs to be printed off, and we haven't got a printer. Like, what do we do? So we like, we you know, we'll have in our little spiels, we'll have, um, you know, little caveats that say, you know, if you can't print off this worksheet, just have a go at drawing it or ruling it up with a ruler and pencil, you know, so we make yeah. sure that the activities can be 
uh, replicated um, so that the kids don't miss out, you know. And and I had a mum the other day saying, oh, I was thinking about buying a printer. Do you think I need one? And I'm thinking, well, like... You know, they are pretty cheap at the moment. If it's within your budget, then definitely get one. I um, bought a really good printer the other week for $25. Really? And it was cheaper to buy a new printer than buy a new (laughs) cartridge for my printer. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So, unfortunately, the way the world works. Throwaway world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's insane. So, tell us more about the kinds of iPad apps that you use. We said apps of the week because there's quite a lot that you use with your yeah, kids. Yeah, and, and, and this is where I've, I've done a little bit of uh, professional development with Apple, mm. and they've uh, coined this term appification, yeah. um, where if you, if you go to a lot of schools, you'll pick up their iPads, and there'll be just be pages and pages that you scroll through of apps, mm. and probably only, you know, you'd be lucky if a tenth of them are getting used on a regular basis. So Apple have really said... You know, we install these really high-functioning apps at start with, and yet everyone's going and looking for more and more apps, and it's probably deferring from what you probably want to be doing. So I've gone down the path of just training up with using the apps that are already on the iPad rather than going and finding a lot more different apps. So if you think of the core apps that you get with an iPad, um, you might need to go buy licenses, but they're free. Um, you think like Pages, um, Keynote, um, Numbers, iMovie, GarageBand, mm. those sort of apps. There's so much you can do and so much you can integrate. Probably talking more from a years three to six range here, probably mm. not so much more for the juniors. The juniors probably need a little bit more scope with some um, a bit more um, junior-centered apps. So yeah. there is that. But I think that um, philosophy that, you're not just getting an app for every different thing you do. There's probably something in that. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. You know, I, I always sort of try and hit up the apps that can be used. You know, we've, we've talked um, in previous episodes about apps like Show Me and Poplet where they, you know, it's one app but it can be used, you know, in whatever subject that you're learning. Yep. You know, it's a way of presenting information. It's a way of you know, creating content. So, you know, they're versatile because they're not linked to one particular subject. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've had things like Book Creator. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's one we have uh, bought for our junior class as well. Mm. Um, so one of those really, uh, you know, because you can use it for a multitude of different things. It's going to be one of your go-to apps. Yeah. Tell me about this series of books released by Apple called Everyone Can Create. Yeah, so what um, Apple have done, they've actually gone and created a, a, a series of books um, centric on uh, a few different topics. Sorry, I can't oh, sorry. About. <laughs> I've, got, I've got Siri, Siri must have thought I was talking to her then. Um, so each one of these books starts with Everyone Can Create and then there's a topic, topic that goes through it. And yeah. There's a whole list of activities you can use with it that that are in in the classroom. What I've just been doing, I've just been doing a screenshot of those books at the moment, and sending it through to the kids. So it's been really great for remote learning. So yeah. I'll go through some of the topics. So everyone can create photos, everyone can create drawings, and everyone can create videos. Yeah. So they're they're the three that I've been using so far. And there is also a more general one, 
as mm. in everyone can create early learners. Mm. So I reckon that would be one that would work really well for you, Brett, if yeah. you were to have a look at that. But in saying that also, you know, that's providing you've, you, your kids have got access to an iPad. Yeah. So there. Yeah, so, um, and if you were to go down that path of championing um, something that's just basic for the kids, I, I think the iPads are just yeah. Um, they've got so much more scope than um, than a computer these days. Well, look what I um, what I normally do in the prep department is you know we do have banks of iPads that we can access, and so yeah. what I generally do is work on iPads with the preps in the first half of the year, because. Yeah. It takes a lot more, a lot less to get an iPad going, you know, than a, than a, a laptop. Um, yeah. You know, laptops with you know logins and all that sort of stuff, um, keyboards, you know, those sorts of things. So I always look at building the capacity of the kids on iPads in the first half, and then we sort of graduate to laptops in the second half okay. um, yeah. to kind of give them that experience as well. Mm. But yeah, definitely. I will definitely look into these Apple books and tell me. So you, you said that with the everyone can create series, they have like like how to videos and things like that. There are some little tutorials in the books themselves. Um, I'm not sure in those actual books. Um, I've actually gone off and actually done my Apple teacher accreditation. That's something I'd recommend as well if you uh, yeah if you're interested in that. Um, there's definitely a lot of tutorials in terms of and videos through that so if you were to um, uh, you get basically just get your Apple uh, ID and you request um, through Apple teacher and there's a whole heap of tutorials in there and then that you do a test after each one and then you're then after you've done I think there's six modules you need to do mm. um, then you're accredited to be an Apple teacher yeah fantastic uh, and those modules are you know are basically just on the core apps so I think the first ones on the iPad in general, and mm. then it goes into each app like Pages, GarageBand, iMovie, and so forth. But you can also do that for so I've got my badge for iPads, mm. but you can also get your badge for MacBooks mm. yep. as well. So, and from there, there's there's lots of tutorials to just push you through. Like from my own ICT background, I was much more before I got into the Catholic education system. I was much more um, grounded in using Windows. Mm. Um, the diocese I was working in, they've really pushed Apple. Um, mm. However, some schools are venturing back to Windows now. Mm. Um, but I've, I've found the Apple just so much easier. I, I don't think I'd go back now. Um, mm. There's less and less debugging you have to do for certain things and less the computers crash much less. And mm. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and you said to me earlier about um, using Google Classroom. Yep. Tell me more yeah, about so, that. Yeah, so we, um, we've we used um, what we call GAFE, which is Google Apps for Education, and that's all our emailing system for our school goes through that. Um, mm. So we've gotten really good at using um, a lot of the Google Apps, which is like uh, Google Docs and Google Slides. We use Google Classroom. So we, we are crossing platforms a little bit there. Um, it's just what I've got used to in the last over the last seven years. However, now I'm sort of starting to get into how can I incorporate pages and and Keynote and all those sorts of things. Yeah, it's it is a little bit going to be a little bit of a challenge in this next little transition bit because probably so much of my knowledge and also the kids' knowledge at the moment is more Google centric rather than mm. Apple centric. Yeah. But I think both of them lend themselves to 
well in terms of if you can use one, generally it's not going to be too much of a stretch to use the other. Mm. Um, just the odd little thing that needs a little bit of tweaking or you just – and it's not that hard like teaching the kids to Google how do I do this on, you know, Google on, on Keynote. You know, there's generally going to be a tutorial um, on YouTube or somewhere like that. Mm. And as we get our skills up more and more so, um, yeah, it sort of – it becomes easier and easier. Yeah, look, I, I love a good YouTube tutorial uh, mm. <laughs> for, for everything. I, <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved YouTube tutorials back in the back when I was at school. I consider yeah. myself an amateur expert at pretty much anything uh, yeah. <laughs> based on my YouTube tutorial watching. Yeah, um, yeah look, you know, it's funny because um, my fiance Elizabeth, her school uses Google classroom and my school uses uh, Microsoft Teams mm. and, it, and look you know there's Apple as well they have their own stuff too but um, what they've got really good as at as companies are making all of their library of programs available within their one format you know like so for, in, for yep. instance with as you said with Google Classroom you can go in and you can use a lot of the different programs that Google has to offer in Microsoft Teams um, you can go in and use, you know, Word, Excel. There's a whole bunch of other ones. Um, the list goes on. PowerPoint. Yeah, PowerPoint. And they're all there available and you can use them online um, as well. You don't actually have to have the um, that program on your computer or your device. You can use yeah. it online. And I think that that's a really clever and a very, very helpful thing for us as educators is that, you know, it's almost like, one website to rule them all, you know, <laughs> you can yeah. you can access one website and be able to have access to all of these programs that may or may not be on your computer already. And I think that that's really clever. You know, Apple are very good at that. I think um, the way that they make their apps, you know, they're almost foolproof in the way that they set them up. Very, very ergonomic design, um, very intuitive design. Um, I'm not so familiar with Google Classroom myself, but I, I, like everything I hear about it is very, very good. In the scope of teaching right now, one of the biggest things is being able to do these things online, um, sort of with video conferencing and stuff like that. Yeah, well, we're using a Google Meet uh, a few times a week at the moment. Yeah. Um, that works really well. Um, mm. Yeah, so... Um, obviously, there's a few things security-wise we have to try and get the kids to be thinking about yeah. in these times. Um, but it's amazing what we can do at this time, like when we've gone into remote learning. Like I, I wonder what remote learning would have looked like even, you know, five, six years ago. I don't think it would be nowhere near as um, doable in the way that's happening right now. Yeah. Look, the thing I said in a previous episode of of our show is that. In education, we tend to be always playing a bit of catch-up. We're always a bit behind the cutting edge of technology, mm. and that's just the nature of it. You know, you've got the cutting edge of technology and its usage in everyday life, and it filters down over time to, to education. We sort of get it a bit later on, so we're never really at the forefront, um, except in this circumstance with, with remote and flexible learning has forced us to be working at the cold face, at the very heart mm. of you know, solving this problem of what do we do when we can't go to school, you know, how do we deliver education, how do we make it happen for the, the kids and the families and yep. do it remotely. 
And so yeah, it's really I, forced us to really rethink everything about, you know, every, everything about the delivery of teaching. Well, I was, I was pretty um, amazed at how the internet infrastructure was able to keep up when yeah. all of a sudden all this video uh, conferencing came into being. You'd think that would have just, and, you know, we've got everyone's running Netflix, everyone's running all these yeah. um, huge amounts of data, and yet somehow it's, it's holding up. It, so, they're um, catering um, for it, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's great. And then we've got 5G coming in soon, whether that's going mm. to be much of a game changer. We'll see, soon see. Look, I think, you know, things like, you know, even Zoom, um, Zoom meetings, everyone loves the Zoom meeting. And, you know, if I could make a prediction about that, I think if, if Zoom are able to offer some, some products that go along with it in the same yeah. way that, Microsoft Teams does or Google Classroom yeah. does, if they're able to, you know, offer, you know, platform for storing information and, um, you know, share, like a SharePoint for, for people to collaborate, I think yeah. that that would, that's where Zoom would yeah, make, they, make a big well, step. It's only a matter of time before one of the big guys come in and just buy them out, really. Yeah. I think, um, <laughs> Who's it going to be? Google or yeah. Microsoft? Or, yeah, someone, someone will get it. Um, so yeah, they've done well to do what they've done. Um, mm. I do find that the Zoom does is the probably the most clear and stable um, platform for running video conferences. Yeah, Google the Google one seems to be just a little bit not quite as good, but again, like and what are we using today? We're using Messenger. So yeah, Facebook Messenger. Yeah. So. yeah. so when when remote stuff lockdown sort of started, we'd always say on the program, "Oh, just to let everybody know, we're not face to face. We're work. You know, we are having this conversation remotely." Um, yeah. Whereas now you don't even say it because it's just the normal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we've had uh, good fun, you know, on trivia nights and those sorts. Yeah. Of doing, you know. Yeah. Especially when all the Melbourne people were all locked down and. Yeah. The country people are able to go off. And, uh, <laughs> I remember a time we didn't have to wear masks. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, um, my my fiance and I were 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 meant to be getting married this year, um, and you know, we were discussing the possibility of requiring masks at the wedding. You know, like. <laughs> oh yeah, a, that would be. Yeah. <laughs> you may now remove your mask and kiss the bride, you know. <laughs> uh, hey, you're going to be drinking at a wedding. I've, I've got the uh, generally got the glass to my lips for the majority of the nights. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that'll work itself out in the long, long run. Now, tell um, me something. Yeah. You know, you mentioned to me um, many months ago around the campfire um, about digital sandpit time. Tell tell us yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah, so, and this is something that is a, a term coined to me many, many moons ago, um, and I've remembered ever ever since, because whenever you come across any new technology, it generally takes a little bit of time to get used to it, and um, to try and just get the, um, play with it, and have find out the different capabilities of whatever the uh, that bit of technology may be. Mm. So, when I come across a new app, I generally tell the kids, I give them a brief lesson on how to do something, like so, give them a bit of scope on how to use a particular app or a bit of mm. technology, and then it's about, okay, guys, go off and have a play with it. Um, 
And that's something that it's very hard to do, like in, especially in a curriculum where everything needs a learning focus and everything is is needs to be very directed. Yeah, it doesn't lend itself to um, kids being creative and also um, kids just having time to practice mm. um, to become automated with using a lot of these particular types of um, technologies. Mm. So um, when they learn a new app, it's really important. Okay. Um, or if you are going to, because sometimes if you do, um, basically, so digital sampling time is just time to play. Mm. Okay, time to have a bit of fun and explore. Explore, um, yeah. Uh, it does need a certain amount of direction because I think if you just give something to a kid and say off you go, there will be the odd kid that will run with it and do what you really want. Um, but most are probably going to fall down with that. You're sort of setting them up to fail. So mm. have really, really minor type directions. But still have a little bit of direction in, in say, yeah, go off and have a play with it. Mm. So, yeah, so that can look really different depending on what the type of uh, technology is. Um, we've used uh, in the junior classrooms. We've had the B-bots. Um, oh yeah. They're, they're, I don't know if you've used B-bots in your yeah yeah yeah. Yep. yeah. So they're, they're great, and also the scope you can go with them. Sometimes you know you you do a couple of lessons and they get put back on the shelf, and they're trying to think of how can I think of innovative ways to keep using this and um, and giving the scope for kids to, to do it without without breaking them, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> um, in, in the older grade levels, we've used Ozobots, giving them a chance to do that. Mm. Again, they get pretty tired or pretty um, uh, sick of it once it gets a little bit challenging. So I think having just a little bit of uh, time or a little bit of direction, but not too much, to have a play. Yeah. So... Uh, and then when you check on them, you just make sure they are doing something that is constructive, not mm. um, just because I think sometimes playing around is going to, they're not going to get much out of it. Where yeah. if there's a little bit of direction, where not not too much direction, yeah, it, it, and and that's just about being visible to the kids and sort of mm. making sure that they're um, staying on task or on, with some sort of intention. Mm. Um, and that can be for a new app as well. Like I know that one of the latest apps I've been using is a coding app called uh, Swift Playground. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and that's been one where if you were to say, kids, off you go, just have a play, it, it gives you a really good scope in terms of which kids are going to pick it up, which kids are going to do the reading and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And then there's the ones that need the real directed sort of you know, learning intention sort of mm. thing. So, um yeah, it's one of those things I incorporate with my lessons. So mm. I wouldn't sort of say, here's 40 minutes, guys, of digital sandpit time. Go off and do it. It's probably more, okay, go and play for 10 minutes. See and, what uh, happens. And then come back. Yeah, come back. Yep. Anyone find out any, anything mm. interesting? Great. Oh, let's, how about we all have a go at doing that? So the direction's there. It's yep. just it's um, it's not quite as apparent as you would. Um, it requires a lot of teacher just on the go. Just yeah. You know, I think probably the, the big important thing there you said about being present, the teacher being present. Mm. It's not it's yeah. not a case of here you go guys, here's an app or an yeah. iPad. Now I'm gonna sit over here and do either do nothing, have a coffee or do some pa yeah. paperwork. It's no you have gotta be involved with the kids. And because there's a lot of point of need too, where you can just go, oh yeah, why don't you try that? Or oh, that's really good, you know, that encouragement stuff. And um, that yeah. the teacher's got to be involved in that. But you know, it's interesting. You know, now these days, there's a lot of uh, push for STEM, science, technology, um, engineering, and maths in our everyday learning. 
And so what you said there about coding and using the B-Bots and, and other apps and things like that for coding is an area of, of need in, in our Australian education. So hence the push. And it does start, it can start really, really basic with, um, you know, and there's a lot, there's even a lot of offline technology that you can, or activities you can do with kids that involve some form of coding. Unplugged coding, we call yeah, it. Yeah, unplugged, unplugged coding. Activities. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really important to, to find time to do that. And I think that too, you know, with your uh, digital sandpit time, I think there's got to be time when you kind of look at, well, what's the purpose of this kind of app? What can we do with it? Often I think teachers jump very quickly from from here's the app to we are going to use it to create this thing. Yep. And it doesn't give that exploration time. Or they might be able to explore it a bit as they go, but the pressure is on them to actually produce something. And so it's not free play. And there, yep. there's that pressure that also, you know, often teachers are trying to get them to fit a certain mould with, with that app, with that yep. function. And it's just like, you know, you've got to take the foot off the accelerator a bit, pump the brakes and go have a chance to explore it. And that opens up the world for the kids because they get, you know, it engages their creative brain. They're not having the pressure yep. of a particular outcome. And mm. often their personal outcomes are much better as a result. Yeah, well, the theory behind it is sort of, um, if you look at the psychology of education in terms of kids need a certain amount of practice time to get anything, mm. and a lot of times we tell the kids how to do something, they show us how we can, how they can do it, and then we assume they, they're going to retain that and mm. they're going to be able to apply, um, it. apply it in some way where a lot of kids will need, and this is where differentiation comes into play and um, where you've got to try and... Uh, monitor where kids are at. Some kids are going to need 10 hits at it. Some kids might only need the one or the two hits at it. And this is where I think that digital sandpit time, those kids only need one or two hits at it. Mm. They, they can have a bit of a play in that sandpit time and really go take it somewhere where mm. those other kids who actually really do need those more more hits of just having a bit of a practice, you do need to have that scope there in play for it so that it is going to be something that when they come time to apply it, mm. all their mental energy is not going towards remembering how to do something. It's, yeah. you know, it's actually applying and creating something using that ICT tool. Mm. Yeah, The ICT learning has been done. Now how we're applying it is what we want to get to. Mm. I think, you know, in a lot of schools, there's still a bit of variation between schools in terms of whether they have like a specific ICT time of week or whether it's integrated into the other lessons, or if it's a bit of both. And I find that the, the one-off lessons are really good for like learning how to use the technology, but integrating it into the other um, learning areas, your, you know, literacy, numeracy, and, and whatnot, that's when you're really trying to apply it to something. Mm. You know, you're trying yeah. to you're trying to utilize that that knowledge of that technology to yep. apply it to a subject. For sure. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. I think with with anything, I think the, probably the best way to approach that is a bit of it both. Mm. You've, you've got to teach the apps, mate, potentially 
in isolation and, and depending on the complexities of what you're trying to teach and, yeah. and the cohort of kids you've got, there's there's so many variables in, in play with that <laughs> that you've just got to have to, yeah. It'd be like, you know, it'd be like, okay, kids, we're, we're practicing kicking a football for five minutes. Now we're going to play football. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't work like that. You know, <laughs> you just certainly don't start by going, okay, kids, we're playing football now. The game of football is like using, it's like using your technology and your app to produce an outcome, to produce a project or something. Yeah. You don't just jump straight into that. You got to lead into that by developing those yeah. skills first. You gotta yeah. run. You gotta run laps, Starry. You gotta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and well, I don't want to be one of these parents that always talks about their kids, but I'll, I'll give you an example about how Harvey. I because I bring the B-Bots home, and you know, and then when there's a B-Bot app on the iPad and all that. Mm. I give him a bit of a, a play with those sorts of things, and then just yesterday, I, I just thought for a bit of fun, I'd give him a go on Swift Playgrounds, which is a much higher complexity mm. of. Um, of coding what he's been uh, exposed to, and he actually he picked it up really really quickly. He, mm. he was, and I even sort of let him go. I just sort of went to the next room and sort of you know taught him the fundamentals of it at the start. And there were quite a few things like copying and pasting and all that, all these skills that you'd think a grade five and six would probably know already mm. that you wouldn't expect a prep to know. So there was a fair bit of learning going on at that time, and he was able to pick that up quite well because I think the coding side of things because he'd done so much. With the B-Bots was quite mm. easy. It was just all the other things that were um, complex to him. So, yeah, it's just about knowing your point of need and what, what you need to teach each kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're, oh, yeah, ex- was, you're experimenting on your own children story. Well, I do. I'm very good for experimenting <laughs> at this stage. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, it's good fun. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, that was our apps of the week, 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 week. And we hope you guys learned something interesting about um, using iPads, using amplification and uh, integrating ICT in your classroom. Starry, you know, I've been keen to find out a bit more about your background as as a human being, as a teacher. <laughs> um, so, look, you know... If you can cast your mind back many, many years ago, what were you doing before you were a teacher? I still remember the day I decided to be a teacher. I was working at Maya Melbourne in the mm. computer software department. And um, one of the workers there had a sheet of paper and how much teachers got paid. Yeah. Compared to what I was getting paid at Maya. And I thought, <laughs> hang on, I'm in the wrong business here. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that superficial. Uh, um, I just thought, uh, working in um, the business world probably wasn't going to be my forte. I, mm. I was being encouraged to sell things to people at whatever cost. Sell, sell, sell. You know the philosophies behind selling stuff to people was probably didn't really fit my um, my social ethics. Yeah. So I thought I'd probably do a little bit more good in the classroom. Mm. Um, and then I started to explore that. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, no, this could be for me. And I've gone down that road and, um, yeah, I haven't looked back. So how old were you when you made that decision? I was probably about 20, maybe 20, 20 years old or 21, and I didn't have the marks to get into teaching straight off. So I went and did an arts degree. Mm. or Well, I started off an arts degree and then I swapped over after a year into that straight into a Bachelor of Education mm. and then, then went from there. Fantastic. So... Um, 
going back even a little bit further, like how how was how would you sort of um, how do you reflect back on your own um, growing up and going through education, primary and secondary school? Yeah, I was always one of those floaters in at school that just sat at the back of the classroom and just <laughs> didn't really. Um, Try that hard. I was. You strike of, me as a bit of a la, you know, a, a larrikin in the classroom. Yeah, I, I, I just was. School was a little bit difficult for me. Like it didn't. Like I, I probably was one of those kids that needed a few more hits at things to get it right. Mm. Um, where sometimes school isn't. You know, we don't give those opportunities to some of those kids. So, I probably got left behind a little bit at times. Where and. It wasn't until later on when I got to uni that I realised that actually, hang on, I do have the capacity to be uh, an academic. It's mm. just I probably just didn't give myself enough credit in those early, earlier years at school. Um, mm. So I, I just I never really had much interest in doing much other than you know I played footy and you know that was you know that was probably <laughs> all I wanted to do. You know? Yeah, there was not not much else going on. Um, and you know when I got into arts at uni, I've I, got, I was probably averaging C's and D's writing essays. And then yeah. I got into um, teaching, which is what I really wanted to do. And mm. all of a sudden, my marks went up to generally probably B's. Mm. Um, and I think that was just because I, I could see light then. I could see what I was doing was. Um, and then I met my lovely wife, Lauren, who was one of those straight A students. Straight A students. <laughs> Uh, so I got her to read over my essays and so forth. Yeah. And she just gave me a bit more um, genuine feedback of what I was doing. And from there, I pretty much averaged either high Bs or um, As throughout mm. the rest of my degree, which I was, you know, thinking about where I come from from a school setting. I was like, ah. Oh. So it, I just needed a little bit of tweaking in that from how to communicate better mm. yep. in my essays. And, um, yeah, that's been probably a, a probably helped me along the lines of helping other kids with, with their learning as well, knowing yeah. that some kids just take a little bit longer to gain those concepts. Yeah. What Which university did you go to? I went to La Trobe in Bendigo. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm a Bendigo man. Um, mm. So, so you, were you, you were living in, in Melbourne and then you made the move. Had you lived in Bendigo before? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Bendigo um, ah. and then I was living in Melbourne um, and then I decided I'd make the move back to um, uh, Bendigo to do the arts well, also had a um, one of my good friends. His mum was a lecturer at the university, so I sort of, you know, I talked to her, and she sort of recommended ways of going in as a mature age student and so forth. Yeah, yeah, and it was like the return of the prodigal son. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, also had another friend whose mum was uh, and one of my former teachers. Mm. Um, she actually got me a job at my old primary school. So oh, I actually really? ended up working back at my old, old primary school as an integration aide for probably about three or four years. Wow. Mm, so, and it's, was that following the university course? Um, so that was as soon as I decided I, I wanted to be a teacher. I, I spoke with you know my friend's oh, mum and, right. and she said, well, if, if this is something you really want, come do some uh, volunteer work mm. and um, make sure that's really what you want to do. So I was volunteering probably for about, Three or four weeks thinking, yep, this is, you know, I'm going to, you know, just I was, I was prepared to keep doing the volunteering work all the way through uni and then she came and sat me down and said, would you like a job? And yeah. so getting paid for doing the same thing, I was wow. like, yep, that, that will, um, yeah. Pay for the that beers at the pub. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's fantastic. Once you got in the classroom, 
um, you know, either doing rounds or in this case, yep. you said that you were getting paid to um, support. Um, what was the what was the position again? Um, I was just the integra- uh, integration integration aid. Yeah, aid. yeah, yeah. So yeah, yep. um, like how did you, how did you feel about that? Like, did it really resonate with you? Listen, I found it extremely difficult. Mm. The um, integration aids because I was generally aligned to a pretty tricky um, individual. Yeah. Um, so when your whole job is trying to to get a kid to do something that they don't want to do, um, <laughs> and you know the teacher is giving you that direction, this kid needs to do this, yeah. and this kid's telling you he doesn't want to do it, that's that's hard because you're getting pressure from both ends. You feel like yeah. you're doing it. The meat and the sandwich there. Um, <laughs> you have to bring out your uh, salesman skills. <laughs> you do, and so yeah, you, you're really trying to, and and you don't have like I was coming from a background of very little um, uh, as a integration aid. You didn't need any degree at that stage or any or any sort of training at all. Yeah. So you're just thinking on your feet and you know looking for guidance from the teacher and. And that's tricky. So I, I always have huge wraps for any integration aid or any teacher support because, yeah, th- they have do a huge job. Um, the time, they may not have the amount of uh, preparation work that a teacher has, mm. but their time, their active time in the in the room, I reckon is a much higher energy than even a teacher. Mm. Um, in saying that, you know, my first few years as a teacher was probably pretty high active time, but once I've probably become... A little bit more proficient in how I manage the classroom. Mm. That that time has become a lot less stressful, and it's yeah, it's probably more the planning side of things now. Probably being at a small school where you've got to do a lot, that's probably where I my most of my mental energy goes. I should mm. say. Yeah, yeah, like just refining what you do. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. What was your next move once you finished uni? Um, yeah, so I finished uni. Because I did the year of arts, I was able to fast track. Um, so I was I was meant to finish at the um, I I had one subject I had to finish. So I had six months in um in my last year at the, at the start of the year that I had to I couldn't do anything because mm. I had to um oh actually no, I was meant to do a course over summer but the lecturer got sick. So I was I had to, my last six months of uni was doing one subject, which mm. was very frustrating because I, I wanted to be out there teaching and yeah so. I eventually got in there, so I graduated halfway through the year, mm. which was the, the challenging bit because there's obviously, you know, halfway through the year, there's not many jobs out there. So I went straight into the CRT world or mm. relief teaching, and I found a few different schools that would um, take me on a regular basis, and I did that for six months, and then I got a job part-time at, an, at a big school, and I taught there for about nine months, and mm. then I was off overseas. What made you head off overseas? What was the? Oh, I think that was um, just you know, I've got I've spent all that time getting a degree. It's got a bit of um, currency in certain places around the world that you know will let me see the world. And so um, my wife and I, or not my wife, my girlfriend at the time, we went overseas and um, we went and worked in uh, London. I suppose you know, in terms of your relationship, traveling and working overseas was probably either gonna. You know, it was probably going to come to a catastrophic, yeah, yeah, catastrophic end, or it was going to end in you guys getting married. Which I'm glad it was the latter. You know, (laughs) Um, that's um, it's it's a great time. Like um, uni lifestyle was really good. Uh, When I say really good, I just it was um, a great time. It was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, 
And going overseas just sort of extended that a little bit, I think. I didn't have to really join the real world just yet. I was able just to uh, work throughout the day, come home and, you know, just get ready for the weekend. And, yeah, my life was sort of a little bit on hold at the time, I suppose, going overseas. You sort of get to see a lot of the world. You're still young and sort of exploring different things and you've got that level of freedom. So it's like uh, uh, travel sandbox time, you know? <laughs> travel sandbox time. I like it, yeah. Generally speaking, how did you find the teaching over in London? The, the, the teaching in London was, I, I wouldn't call it teaching. You you were there as a supervision role. Like you go into a classroom, your job's just to survive for the day. Mm. Like you're not really, like there's no real accountability for your teaching. It's basically the principal just doesn't want to be annoyed by you or their kids or the yeah. kids in that room. If you can uh, get through that day um, without anyone you know, throwing a chair at you or <laughs> all those sorts of things. But being a male, they they sent you to a lot more tougher classrooms yeah. um, and tougher schools. So I can, uh, you know, I still look back with a few little horror stories of um, of how to manage through that time. Um, Do you want to tell us yeah. a few of those? Uh, I, I can still remember my very worst day in teaching. Yeah. Um, uh, it was at a school in Paddington. I had this class and it was really sad when I found out later on after I taught this class because they had had a different teacher every single day of that year almost and we were probably wow. in the middle of the um, second term or something like that. Yeah. They, they had no consent. You know, they were lucky to get three, like a teacher for three days in a row or something. So it was a Friday I had them mm. and um, I'm trying to get them packed up at the end of the day. It's been a tough day. <laughs> uh, and this, I remember this one little kid came up to me with a whole massive tub full of uh, the, you know, the plastic coins you use for money. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. And it's just about home time. I've got the room all cleaned, ready to go. And this one kid just comes and picks up the tub and just throws it as high in the air as he could. And the coins just went everywhere. And the kids <laughs> just started going mental. And I'm trying to get them you know, back so into line so we could line up and go out for the day. And I'm trying to get them to pick up the coins and all right, just leave it. So let's go. go. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, there's, there's, other than that one moment of that kid picking up the coins and throwing it, which seems pretty minor, it was just a day of just these kids were just emotionally, they had no someone who generally cared about them mm. a, from a school interest and you know, I'm just there getting paid for the day. I'm they're just to facilitate yep. that, and you know you can't build a relationship in that time. Or like, as a CRT in London, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But you didn't have that time to build any. You know, they were just emotionally just had no love for the teachers in, the, mm. in their uh, environment. So they would do things to purely just to upset the teacher in the classroom. So yeah. that that was really challenging. And I, I and when I found out. Later on, when I when spoke to the other teachers in the school about how difficult, no one wanted to go near them. Like it was just like they were probably a difficult class to begin with, and that's why the teacher left early, yeah. early on in the year. But in saying that, we all know we've all started with um, classes that have been difficult, and you know we we learn to develop and we you know try to manage through that as best we can by developing those relationships mm. and yeah these kids oh, it really really does um make me wonder how if this is going on in london 
at the moment with COVID going on, like if I went into a school, any school in London, I was no novelty, no novelty as an Australian to be there. Yeah. Uh, there's that many Australians over there. If all those Australians packed up their bags and came home, there would be a massive teacher <laughs> shortage in London. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what's going on over there at the moment. If, yeah. if all those Australians have been able to um, pack up and, and leave then, or if they're still over there. or And there'd be a massive job shortage in Victoria, like if they came back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're, glad, we're glad they're still over there. I think they're still over there. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. And those kinds of experiences didn't put you off teaching? No. Um, listen, I, another thing I did in London was I actually got a job in a school for about nine months and I was just the the, uh, the gap filler. So whenever a teacher needed their release, I'd go into that class and teach whatever lesson they'd planned. Mm. So it, it was a really, really good little gig. It was just right near um, Buckingham Palace actually. So it was yeah. in a really lovely spot. All, all the kids came from estates or like commission type home so yeah. they, were, they weren't from re- really oh, but it was probably more working class backgrounds that they were coming from so the kids were were good in some ways um but still a little bit you know rough around the edges that needed a little bit of um help with and i just remember this one kid that i, I was sent into this class to be support with the teacher for probably about four weeks in a row yeah. just to get because this teacher was having a really hard time with this one little boy um he was in grade three so I basically sat with him and helped him do his work. So I was getting paid as a teacher for the day, but really I was an integration aide. So yeah, yeah. Um, which you were familiar with doing. Which so, I was very familiar. You know, with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I had some really hard days there, but yeah. I, I had time to develop a bit of a relationship with this kid, and um, and then I got the um, then I started just doing my own classes at the school and so forth. And um, yeah, and I, I remember I got a. a um, Facebook. This kid found me on Facebook somehow a few years later. Yeah. Um, and he just says, "I don't know if you remember me." And I'm like, "I remember you." <laughs> how can I forget? Um, he said, "Yeah, how can I forget you?" Because I, I remember um, a few times I had to give him a bit of a bit of a burst at you know at his behaviour. Yeah. Um, uh, so I didn't think he'd have a fond memory of me, but like I did try really hard with this kid, and he wrote me this lovely. Um, text message on Facebook saying, I really appreciate all the things you did for me when that I still remember the times that you did this, this, this. Yeah. Um, and, and that was really touching because I was thinking I re- felt I really didn't make any impact when I was over in London. But this one kid, he just and – he, and he asked to be my friend on Facebook and at the time he was still probably only about uh, – he's probably about 15 and I just sort of said, listen, I probably don't feel comfortable being your friend on Facebook because of, you know, um, but if you ever want to shoot me a message – shoot me a message and, you know, yeah. that's fine. Um, and then eventually he turned 18 and I said, yeah, that's fine, you, you, know, I'll, you know, you can friend me or whatever. And now so I see his feed come through. He's pretend, he's uh, uh, trying to be a professional wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> so he's gone really far in this. So I see all his uh, Facebook feed. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's doing his workouts and doing like, all this stuff as a professional um, wrestler, meeting all the, you know, so he's, uh, he's in the circles with all the WW, um, yeah. what is it now, WWE or yeah. w, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, so he, he's gone well. Like, And I'm just thinking this kid was one of those ones at risk that you thought had no hope. Yeah. And yet, so, yeah he's found uh, his calling. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, times like those where, you, you know, 
you realise oh, that it's worth it's worth the effort you put in. Yeah, well, so very few times in teaching do you actually get to see or get to hear that feedback from from the kids that are, you know appreciated what you you did. Um, yeah. I remember in your last podcast, Lindsay was talking about the uh, energy breakthrough. Yeah, and how yeah. one of the kids come and thanked him for the energy breakthrough and all that. And I, like I know how much effort goes into the energy breakthrough, and for a kid to acknowledge that, it's it just makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, and you you, you yourself have uh, taken on that challenge, uh, going to the energy breakthrough uh, with your school. Yeah, I think this will be my. Actually, this won't be my tenth year. Um, because it's been cancelled. Yeah, it has been cancelled. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely gutted by that. You're a pretty uh, fond participant of that. I've been going over there for most of ten, most of uh, twenty years, I reckon. Yeah, so um, in some capacity, you know. Capacity, yeah, I started um, off with push carts and yeah, and now I've moved my way to HPVs and yeah. I, yeah. I think we I think we got to get you and Lindsay and a couple of other energy breakthrough type teachers on the program and we'll talk specifically about the energy breakthrough because i feel like that that's one of those really juicy nuggets that you know we could just talk for hours on but (laughs) i feel like if i feel to me i'm like if teachers don't know about it they need to know about it you know yeah i didn't realize Lindsay was uh such uh had been part of it for so long because mm, oh, yeah. I knew you, you you uh you were a big part of it but I didn't realize that that's probably how you got into it it is yeah so yeah. um my my first beginnings with that was working on the bikes I was a young teenager and like I was a bit technically minded and I loved you know give me an angle grinder or something and I'd you know, or a yeah. drill and I'd always want to have a crack um so you know dad would you know help build these bikes these uh, tricycles and stuff and um and I was always involved with that. Um, yep. And so, yeah, right through my teenage years, I was either helping him build his bikes, his trikes, or I was, um, you know, training to be in a team myself or, you know, going as a rider. And so, yeah, my, my involvement changed over the years as I went. And, yeah, so, like, it's been invaluable for me uh, personally and professionally. And I see it as being this massive wonderful opportunity for for kids and for teachers and for schools you know the te- oh, like I, f- I feel like the teachers get just as much out of it as the kids you know it's well one of the good one of the better things you can do as a teacher yeah you you d- definitely do see such growth in the kids over that time and they're, what they're doing is something very tangible yeah um where so much stuff we do in the classroom is very abstract yeah um yeah yeah or it doesn't have any real world point to yeah. it you know it's practice yeah, exactly. it's practice for later on when you grow up and you become an adult and you can apply it to the real world yeah whereas you know anyone who's involved in any kind of sporting team will know that what you do counts yeah. to, to the overall picture mm. um just yeah i think we need to have a whole session on that <laughs> All right, no, we won't talk any more about energy breakthrough so right? um we'll so, so going back yeah, once you came back from London, what was your first? Um, what was your first school? Um, my first school was a school called Spring Valley, yeah, mm. um, And that was um, I got that last minute because I had applied for the job and I didn't get it. And however, it was also the school that my wife worked at. Um, uh, inside Edge. Uh, inside Edge, though. So yeah, <laughs> and then I think something fell through with one of the teachers that had 
had got the job. Mm. So it. Oh no, actually, no, sorry, no. A um, teacher had gotten a principal role, and so all of a sudden, a couple of days before school was meant to start, um, so I was going to go back on the CRT, I think, and get myself known to a few different schools again. And then what ended up happening was a teacher got a principal gig and she had to leave her classroom job. So mm. I got given a three-month contract um, just while she was doing the principal gig mm. and that went for two and a half years. Wow. Yeah, yeah just keep, mm. kept kicking on. Kept kicking on. So I had about, I think I had, in those two and a half years, I think I ended up having six contracts. Wow. Or more, seven contracts maybe. Yeah. And what was the longest you got to stay with at any one class during that time? Uh, no, well, I had, yeah, so I ended up having my whole class. I had two, two years in grade three and then half a year in grade grade five. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so I got to have my own classroom, which at that stage, that was my first time actually having my own classroom. Which, yeah. Which I, I feel probably would have been better if I had had, have had my own classroom first. Mm-hmm. Because you do pick up some bad habits just being a CRT. Because mm. you, you, your incentive for the day is just get through the day, facilitate the learning. You're not building the relationships, um, which you know you, you see the benefit of when you do that. Um, your whole life, you know, as in your whole job as a teacher, becomes so much more. You know, the satisfaction in it, mm. um, how you're able to manage the classroom becomes easier. Everything just compounds when you've got really good relationships with your kids. And being a CRT for so long, I probably didn't have that mindset going into my first year. Mm. Um, And saying that I had a really good class in my first year um, having my own classroom. Um, So they made it really easy for me. But the following year, I had a really challenging student, which then, you know, made me think a little bit more about how... You know, you had to problem solve those difficult situations. Yeah. And I think there's something too when, you know, when you know that you've got to front up every single day for that year and keep addressing those, that, you know, that difficult student or that difficult class, you know, you know that you've got to have a long-term view. You've got to have a a strategy to, to improve things over time. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and that's. Yeah, something that probably took me a little bit while to develop that. Mm, yeah, and um, and so two two and a half years at um, Spring Gully, and yep. then then where to from there? Uh, then I went to a little school called Bort. Mm. Um, and that's a bit well, that's a bit way out towards the mountains. Yeah, isn't it was it? a good hour hour and ten minute drive for me each morning. Um, really, my old principal, my old principal from Spring Gully had uh, gotten a job there, and he asked me whether. Um, well, he recommended that when I no longer I didn't want to apply for a, a further contract at Spring Gully, he said it's probably best to you continue a contract, find a contract, and I've got one for you. While you're looking for another job, don't just leave it because you'll lose a lot of um, what you've worked for. Mm. Um, so he he basically you know, gave me that opportunity, and um, I really do appreciate that opportunity because I probably was a little bit disenfranchised with teaching at that particular time. There was probably a little bit of a hierarchical problem that I didn't quite, you know, when I, you know, you, you expect to, you know, to get support from leadership yeah. rather than, um, you know, you end up probably not getting what you need or what you want. Um, not that you can always get what you want all the time, but, um, 
you know, as a young teacher, you probably do need a level of support, and I, it, it just wasn't wasn't there. It was just sort of, it was, it felt more like um, a time to, I don't know, just, you know, you were just uh, clocking in each day and doing a job, and that's all you mm. were to the school, which, yeah. you know, I probably, yeah. Yeah, mm. can I ask, sorry, just to clarify, was that at Board or was that still at Spring Gully? That was at Spring Gully, yes. Okay, so... Ball so, was a really positive. It's probably been one of the better so, schools I've ever taught. Yeah, and mm. so moving to Ball was it was largely because you, you felt uh, un, unsatisfied with, well, with your situation. Well, I, I had to apply for my own job again. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, this is the you know, seventh contract I've had to apply for in a row. Yeah, and I've gone. Well, you either want me or you don't want me, and yeah, I'm, you know, and obviously that probably. <laughs> that was, um, <laughs> It's, no, it's, I, I probably just needed that. I wanted that yeah. feedback to say, well, either you know, you either see me here or you don't see me here mm. in this in particular this particular job because I didn't want to be in a spot where I wasn't valued. Yeah. So that put me on my. So rather than sitting there for another six months waiting to the end of the year, mm. I thought, no, nah, this is my out at halfway through the year because, you know, I would have had to apply for my job. So this way I could get out to some other schools, find out what's you know, build some relationships with other schools. Mm. And uh, get a job for the following year, so that was my strategy. And and yeah, that was my old principal from Spring Gully rang me up when he found out about it and just said, yeah, he says probably best to try to stay in the system if you can. And that way, um, yeah. And for some reason, I ended up transferring to the Catholic system in uh, after Bort. Mm. Um, Bort was just something that like the potential was to stay on, but it was just too far. So, so I, what was um, that one year looking. in Bort? Was it? Uh, six months. Six months in board. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. And travelling, yeah, no, 100Ks there and then 100Ks back every day? Pretty much, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I've got um, – I'm just going to mention um, one of my colleagues. His name is Matt and he – terrific guy. Uh, shout out to Matt. Um, but he – when he started at our school, he was driving down from Echuca every day. Echuca down to Craigieburn. Which is yeah. like an hour, two, nearly two hours, I reckon. It like, would have been two hours. Been, yeah, um, two hours. That's an hour to get to Bendigo. Yeah, no, then... it would have to have been at least two hours. Oh, at least. And he, was, and, then... and he was driving down to Craigieburn, and then at the end of the day, he'd drive home. And I just don't know how he didn't go insane. Like, it yeah. just uh, blows my mind. Um, yeah, what, like, um... tremendous commitment. Yeah, I know you. You living in Melbourne, like I know, there's probably lots of people in Melbourne that have easily got a forty-minute to an hour commute each day. Yeah, they do. Um, mm. In Bendigo, most people have got maybe a five-minute commute. <laughs> um, I was given a job in Alexander many years ago, and I was, yep. um, and I was, were you know, living in Seymour, and so that was going to be something like a an hour-long drive every day, and then. I was still applying for jobs at that stage, trying to create some options, and I ended up getting one at, at Avenal, and that was like 15 minutes down the road. And I tell yeah. you what, School for School was, they're both great schools, and I'm just like, do I drive 50 minutes or do I drive 15 minutes? Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know you know what I chose. but um, And I think that was a really good decision at the time. But, I, you know, I my heart goes out to those people that, that have got to commute Significant distances, even in down here in Melbourne, they 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 do and they have to go from other suburbs and 
you know, like you talk to them about it, and most of them they put on a podcast, like Teaching for Dummies. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they put on a podcast uh, to listen to, or they, you know, there's some kind of. It's not wasted time, you know. It's yeah, yeah. They find some way to actually make it make it useful. But yeah. sometimes you just want to get home. The morning, I don't find a hard time to commute. It's mm. the afternoon where you just want to be home. Get yeah, you know, get dinner into you and get get your routine. Uh, into into play. Yeah. yeah, you know, so I talk with a lot of teachers about, you know, and they like to commentate on other teachers, and um, and sometimes they say things like, "Oh, that person is like the first out the gate at the end of the day." Yeah. Um, you know, in a critical way, they say yeah. that, and it's like, well, why are they leaving? There's probably a good reason that they're out the mm. gate straight away. Yeah, yeah, it's probably exactly like it's probably not anything inherently bad it's just that they got to go you know they got to get out yeah, of there they got family they got whatever well, well that that's the big thing for me at the moment as in if i have a staff meeting one night if i stay back to get a few odds and ends done another night and all that all that golden time spent with your family is just gone like mm. as in if i don't leave bang on so, so i try to leave by about four o'clock most days um mm. if i when I can, because mm. that is the time I really get to spend with my family. Mm. Mm. So that's that's uh, that's a big thing. Like I know when I was a younger teacher, I could sit around and I could, you know, just hang around longer doing things. But it doesn't mean I was necessarily working any harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you said, you you, you realise how valuable your time is, mm. and you want to make sure it's purposeful. Yeah. Well, I, I I'm at the moment probably half an hour to 45 minutes a night just touching base on the following day just doing those sorts of things mm. and that's when all the kids have gone to bed and you know um, yeah you know all the family times have been done and I can put my head into it which is not a great time for me I hate thinking too much about school at that time of night but yeah. it's unfortunately the nature of the beast of I've got to find the time somewhere mm. um, and if I was to stay at school and get that finished then go home well I'd missed all that golden time with my kids yeah. so yeah yeah, look, I think back to when I was a young kid and, you know, you would see Dad at the kitchen table with some curriculum books open or something, you know, writing, probably writing it out by hand. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, but, you know, it, it, it never it, – he always tried to make sure it never stopped him, um, you know, connecting with us boys. You know, he'd be taking us to cricket training or something like that or footy training and, you know, or we'd be – doing something and making something he always valued that time with us boys mm. knowing that he still had schoolwork to do you know knowing that at some stage he was going to have to find time for that and that's what I was that was what was modeled to me growing up so I think you know as a teacher um, now you know when I think back on that and I think well you know it's about prioritizing and working out what you need to do, when you need to do it. And like you said before about setting yourself up for the week, um, you, mm. you know, in our previous episode, you talked about the mental health aspect of setting yourself up for the week to make your the week flow better. Mm. You know, you're lessening the chance of things going wrong or yeah. lessening the chance of you getting strung out, you know, with all yes. the things you have to do. Yeah. Mm. Now tell me, you got into the Catholic school after bought. Um, yep. So you were boarded, bought, and you went into the Catholic school. Uh, how long have you been in the Catholic school for? Catholic system. So 
Uh, this is my eighth year now. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Finally uh, got my long service. So, yeah. Ah, so that happens <laughs> after seven years. Yes, after seven years. So when you leave the state system, which I accrued three years mm. of continual service, when I um, went from the state system to the Catholic system, you lose all your long service. You know, so that's been something that I've been hanging out for for a little while. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Even, okay. You know, my my I got to use my first week of long service, and it was the the first uh, week of lockdown. Oh. <laughs> So you sat at home and you read a lot of books, <laughs> watched a uh, lot of, pretty, pretty watched much, a lot yeah, of Netflix. So. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, mate, I feel for you. So um, I was, I, I'm probably actually, I originally put in my submission for long service this time for August this year. Mm. Um, but yeah, obviously I've scrapped that because I don't want to be using my long service to sit at home and uh, yeah. do nothing. So I thought I might as well be remote teaching. I um I yeah. saw a really good idea the other day, and it was um this mother had decided that every time they her and her kids had thought about something that they really wanted to do that they couldn't do because of lockdown, they'd write it on a piece of paper and put it in the jar. And oh. the idea is that once lockdown's gone, they're going to open up the jar and they're just going to start doing all these things that they wished that they could do but weren't able to. And I think like, I that's a that really idea. good idea. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it, mm. you know, it's like that forward vision, that, that sense of hope that you, things are going to get better and we are going to get clear of COVID eventually. So my yeah. question to you would be like, what are you going to spend your um, long service leave on? What, what's in your mind? What's your big... My original thing before COVID was just to sit around the house and just enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've had way too much time sitting in the house. No, I was going to because um, my daughter Josie, she's four years old now. Um, she's got not too much longer before she's going to have to start school, and I felt I was probably spend a lot more time with my son Harvey when he was younger in terms of um, that quality time because it was just a lot of one-to-one time with him. Where Josephine, when you got the second kid, you know everything's done together. So yeah. I thought that would be a nice lot, bit of time just to spend some alone time. With my daughter, mm. for, I was just going to do about three weeks of it. Where, uh, yeah, it's probably um, so that might still be on the cards. Um, mm. We'll we'll see how 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 we go and how long this uh, time lasts. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Look, you know, I think it'd be great to finish off today with um, some advice for CRT. We've had a little bit of tidbits along the way, but I know that you've got some good advice for for being a CRT. What would be your your top your top four things? Oh, uh, top four! Oh, yeah. the top four! Right, got the top four. Um, the the thing that I probably, even though it's very hard to create a relationship in that time, my thing, big thing was, um, if you can somehow have a little bit of a hook, so they're actually engaged with you at the start of the day, because mm. naturally those kids are going to be trying to work you out. And you want to be trying to sort of work them out at the same time, so you know which ones you're going to have to keep a little bit uh, <laughs> closer eye the on throughout the ones, day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, st- stamp your authority on them in the sense that you're not going to put up with, you know, certain behaviours. Mm. Um, so my big thing was um, to make sure that you're fair. Yeah. Okay. Everything, because probably my biggest failure as a CRT was sometimes 
you do what I say because I'm the teacher. Mm. And I don't think that ever comes across uh, really well, like, as in kids pick up on that and they're going to go, and especially these days, they're going to go, not a good enough reason. Mm. So you've really got to make sure that whenever you decide to call them on something, you've got to really have a, a reason behind calling them on it. Mm. You've got to be able to say, you know, I, you know, if if they're calling out and saying, um, you know, I'm gonna, I have to ask you to do this because this is unfair on everyone else. Mm. You just really, really play it to the idea that you're not just doing it because you're the teacher. You're doing mm. it because you've got a job to do and you're trying to be fair. And and most kids are going to be a lot more respondent to that sort of approach of things. Another thing, a really good uh, document that I read was called Karma Classrooms. Yep. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it just everything. Every behavior or punishment or consequence was matched to their own behavior. So you weren't just say, "Oh, you you done the wrong thing, so you're going to write out lines for me." It's, mm. it's, it, it, you've got to try and match it with what the behavior is, and that way it's generally got to. And, and that will show that's again compounding that fairness. Mm. Um, that there, there's a correlation there, and I think kids respond well to that. Mm. And I suppose the first ten minutes is that time to really show that if you can it's really hard to get them back once you've lost them mm. so really go in switch yourself on for that especially for that first 10 minutes of the day um, be a good storyteller yeah uh, if you can tell stories or have something they, they're going to listen to you for a, a little bit and I think it's just a way of them building or way of you being able to build a little bit of a relationship with them and one thing that I did uh, and this is probably my useful, most useful trick that I was my go-to. Is I I did a lot of cartooning back in the day, mm. um, and I had a lot of stories to go along with my cartoons that I yeah. did. One of the things was um, drawing Simpsons characters, and I had different ways of manipulating <laughs> the images. And I'd I'd start drawing a circle, and then they'd you know I'd say, "Can you guess what I'm drawing?" And then they'd um yeah I'd be sort of guessing oh an elephant da 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 and eventually it'd turn into a Bart and then yeah. I'd have the way of turning it into Homer and they'd just blow their minds of all like how <laughs> how um it all worked they um and how there are all these little intricate um little details in you know as in there's lots of M's in all yeah. of his characters because of you know his name's Matt Groening and yeah. M was his favourite letter. So he and kids found that really fascinating. So if you had a real hook like that, and at this stage when I first started CRTing, all kids love The Simpsons. I don't know yeah. what they love these. But I don't think they really know too much about The Simpsons, so I'd have to think of a different character. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you've got something like that, just something that you know, you're one way in getting because even those kids who are really disengaged, as soon as I started drawing, you know, Simpson characters on the board, they were just hooked. They were just. Mm. Uh, and I had them for a little bit, so I had a bit of a chance to develop a little bit more with them at that at, in those first ten minutes. Mm. Um, yeah, but obviously, if you know, if you play the guitar or you do something different, you know, just find some something that you can do that yeah. is um, going to going to hook them in, and um, yeah, find a little bit more about yourself, and yeah. Mm. So I think I think they're probably I don't know if that's is that four did I make it four? That's I don't think that's, I originally... that's more than four. Did you have any more? Like like while we're here, do you have any more than that? Like I'm quite happy to. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. They, they were, they they, were my, they're uh... great. So you you have like be fair. You have have a hook. Have a hook. Be fair. Karma classrooms. Like the consequences got to match the the issue. Yeah, yeah. And be a good storyteller. 
they're fantastic. So, or have something. It's had something in your bag of tricks that were like it could yeah. be a, a really cool game that you could get them to play. Mm. The, the, you know, there's there's millions of things that teachers naturally do. It's just about being um, have the have them on mm. hand, ready to go. And so the other thing is, lots of times CRTs are in the same classroom. In London, I was in a different classroom every day. Yeah. Now and again, they got you back when you build a relationship. But a lot of the time, a school had already booked you. But by the time that uh, that's that other classroom wanted you back and mm. all that, um, so have a big bag of tricks because sometimes you'll be back in the same classroom and those same tricks aren't going to work the next time around. Yeah, yeah, I know. And look, I myself, I've I've been uh, you know filled in in a lot of classrooms. Same kind of thing, really. Sometimes I don't even you don't even start the lesson by looking at the the planner. You know, you've got to yeah, yeah. find a way of getting them on board before you even think about doing anything academic. Yeah, yeah. that's great advice, mate. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. I know that yeah. our listeners out there will really appreciate that. And I've got to say, I've got to say that you know we we were targeting CRTing, but that that advice could be used for any teacher or even yeah. any educator. Because I always find it funny too um, when you do things like PD and you have these these people running PD that are you know they're academics they're intellectuals and all of that and then they forget about all of these things <laughs> like yes you know they, they they talk about engagement but they don't actually engage people and I'm like why how can you how can this be like <laughs> and, and, and um, a lot of the times I actually say that at the start of their uh, presentation yeah. I know you know we talk that we should do this but I'm not going to do that today I'm going to go straight into it and you're like why uh, not why are we less <laughs> worthy of of being engaged yeah and so yeah and I think like it goes to principles it, you know goes to leadership because there are going to be times when you when you are responsible for you know a group of people it might be at an assembly it might be at a athletics carnival where you've got to take the microphone and make stuff happen and you know having having these things in mind really does help really does help you communicate with people get them on side and and get the whole show moving well, thanks very much for joining us again today, Starry. You're an absolute uh, champion. We've loved, obliged, Brett. loved hearing definitely. hearing you talk about teaching. You talk about teaching much better than you think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I know our listeners are absolutely going to love these couple of episodes, and I look forward to having you back on the program in the future. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Brett. So, um, yeah, no, so, it's been good, and obviously we'll have to catch up after COVID's over. Hey, um, before oh, we go, what's on? What's on yep. for the rest of your Sunday? For the rest of the Sunday, um, I'll probably I'm going to go make a uh, movie trailer on the iPad with yeah. my kids. Fantastic, man! So that will two things. It means I'm doing something with my kids, but it's also something I can share to <laughs> my um, my students about how to put in some decent effort into their own work, yeah. so they're not just sending me back uh, bits and pieces of. That's probably the hardest thing in remote learning is getting them to put the effort into their work. Um, so that's you know, so if you give some examples, it generally sets the standard. So yes, takes up sucks up a bit more time, but hopefully I can kill two birds with one stone, spend some quality time with my family, and uh, make a lovely little YouTube clip. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Good luck with that. I hope it goes well. Mm. Thanks for joining us again on the program. Thanks to our listeners out there. Please be in touch. Please uh, submit stories to share. 
Uh, we'd love to get your feedback because we want to create content that is great for you. So thanks for joining us again today on Teaching for Dummies. We've had Nathan Starr, Starry, the champion of teaching. Uh, <laughs> uh, see you later. Bye.